We seem to be living in an age of faddish new ideas, opinions, and products that would have been rejected outright only a few years ago by the largest segment of society. How did it happen that new notions or trends are now so quickly accepted by what appears to be the majority? Some things become popular that were formerly thought of as illogical or senseless. Of course, some of these new ideas or fads are relatively harmless, while some can be socially damaging. One example of a harmless fad which would have been deemed absurd several generations ago and has become quite a trend can be noted. If I had predicted that people would now pay hundreds of dollars to purchase clothing that was made to look worn out, replete with rips and tears, I would have been laughed to scorn. However, today this is vaunted as fashion. How could this be? Similarly, if I had proposed when I was in university that the term gender could be redefined to mean a spectrum from male to female based upon how one feels, my suitability to receive a science degree may well have been questioned. Yet today, the notion is not only expressed, but protected by law. This represented a radical change in society's thinking. How did this occur? I shall be right back to show a disturbing trend that is helping to suppress views that run counter to popular social beliefs. Stay tuned. We have examples where blatantly incorrect statements are made even though scientifically measured data points in the opposite direction. When a person knowledgeable in their field today states a fact based upon measurement, if his fact differs from the popular narrative, the individual is vilified. A clear example relates to the popular notion that polar bears are now endangered and on the verge of going extinct due to shrinking sea ice in the Arctic regions. Are there populations in marked decline? We have all sorts of dire warnings that the great white bears are in trouble. But what do actual field researchers say? A 2021 report about a research paper by longtime professor and biologist Dr. Susan Crawford, an expert in polar bear habitat who has researched their populations and changing environmental conditions, showed that their populations have risen over 30% between 2005 and 2017, despite a 50% decrease in sea ice. This indicates summer sea ice levels are not as critical to polar bear survival as USGS biologists assumed. Despite 2020 having had the second lowest September ice extent since 1979, after 2012, there were no reports from anywhere around the Arctic that would suggest polar bears were suffering as a result. No starving bears, no drowning bears, no marked increases in bear conflicts with humans. Indeed, contrary to expectations, several studies have shown that polar bears in many regions have been doing better with less summer ice, either because multi-year ice has been replaced with more productive seasonal ice, or because the increased primary productivity that has come with longer open water seasons has been a net benefit. But Dr. Crockford is not alone. 
Inuit hunters have been expressing their frustration as the federal government, heavily influenced by political interests, refuses to accept the reality that the polar bear population is high. The Inuit elders and hunters have expressed concerns about rising bear populations. Inuit hunters and elders are adamant that polar bear populations are rising significantly and are thriving. In addition, the Inuit are reporting that the bears are in remarkably good health, a prime indicator of which is the number of cubs born to a female in a given year. In a recent CBC article, author Jane George quotes Emma Kukatuk of the Katikmiat Regional Wildlife Board, Hunters can tell the subpopulation is increasing because of how easy it is to encounter or hunt bears, observations every mating season, encountering more females, young bears, and or females with up to four cubs and bears going into meat caches. Obviously, there is a disconnect between the reality on the ground and the public narrative saying that human activity is causing climate change that threatens polar bears. Why is the story believed instead of the reality? A Washington Times story by Valerie Richardson, published on October 20th, 2019, reports that Dr. Susan Crockford was fired from the University of Victoria. The author shows that the dismissal was almost certainly due to Dr. Crockford's published research and subsequent lectures on the current flourishing of the polar bear population. Richardson writes, Her dismissal, which was announced Wednesday in a post on her polar bear science blog, has spurred alarm over the implications for academic freedom and the rise of cancel culture for professors and scientists who challenge climate catastrophe predictions. The article also cites author Mark Morano, who explains what has been happening in the Western world when researchers and academics report on findings that run counter to the modern woke narrative. Professor after professor has been hounded, silenced, censured, or fired for speaking out against the approved man-made climate crisis narrative. Mr. Morano said, the message to any climate dissenters in academia is once again reinforced. Stay silent with your skepticism or risk endangering your career. So how can this happen? How is it that research that may be contrary to a given belief can just be dismissed without being given the opportunity to be heard and discussed to assess its validity? Is this not how academia is supposed to work? This trend is not new. What forces control what people believe to be true or what they are permitted to say? Why is it that some will not disagree even when they know something is not true and may even go along with the fantasy. You would not be the first to ask such a question. In 1837, a Danish writer observed a similar disturbing behavior in his society. He met many people in Copenhagen, wealthy or aspiring to be wealthy, who wanted to be accepted in the society of the day. He found to his dismay that many would just go along with ideas and practices with which they did not agree simply to attain favor and advancement. These people were very afraid of being criticized or being called names like stupid or unfit for a position. Hence, wrong ideas were promoted and those who knew better either went along 
or were silenced. The writer in question was Hans Christian Andersen, and in response to seeing this side of society, he wrote a tale. It was actually based upon an older Spanish folktale published in 1335, but it was Andersen's that became well known. I shall be right back to read his tale that is a commentary on how easily truth can be suppressed and how social pressure can make a lie accepted as reality. In part one, we took a brief look about how truth can be suppressed for the promotion of a false idea. This is not a new phenomenon. Let us start by taking an abbreviated look at an enduring tale about this problem as expressed by one of the world's most famous authors, Hans Christian Andersen, and the Emperor's New Clothes. Many years ago, there was an emperor so exceedingly fond of new clothes that he spent all his money on being well-dressed. He cared for nothing about reviewing his soldiers, going to the theater, or going for a ride in his carriage, except to show off his new clothes. He had a coat for every hour of the day, and instead of saying as one might about any other ruler, the king is in council, here they always said, the emperor is in his dressing room. In the great city where he lived, life was always vibrant. Every day, many strangers came to town, and among them one day came two swindlers. They let it be known they were weavers, and they said they could weave the most magnificent fabrics imaginable. Not only were their colors and patterns uncommonly fine, but clothes made of this cloth had a wonderful way of becoming invisible to anyone who was unfit for office or was unusually stupid. Those would be just the clothes for me, thought the emperor. If I wore them, I would be able to discover which men in my empire are unfit for their posts. And I could tell the wise men from the fools. Yes, I certainly must get some of this stuff woven for me right away. He paid the two swindlers a large sum of money to start work at once. They set up two looms and pretended to weave, though there was nothing on the looms. All the finest silk and purest old thread which they demanded went into the traveling bags, while they worked the empty looms far into the night. I'd like to know how those weavers are getting on with the cloth, the emperor thought, but he felt slightly uncomfortable when he remembered that those who were unfit for their position would not be able to see the fabric. It couldn't have been that he doubted himself, yet he thought he'd rather send someone else to see how things were going. The whole town knew of the cloth's peculiar power, and all were impatient to find out how stupid their neighbors were. I'll send my honest old minister to the weavers, the emperor decided. He'll be the best one to tell me how the material looks, for he's a sensible man and no one does his duty better. So the honest old minister went to the room where the two swindlers sat working away at their empty looms. Heaven help me, he thought as his eyes flew wide open. I can't see anything at all. But he did not say so. Both the swindlers begged him to be so kind as to come near to approve the excellent pattern, the beautiful colors. They pointed to the empty looms, and the poor old minister stared as hard as he dared. He couldn't see anything, because there was nothing to see. Heaven have mercy, he thought. Can it be that I'm a fool? I'd never have guessed it and not a soul must know. Am I unfit to be a minister? It would never do to let on that I can't see the cloth. 
Don't hesitate to tell us what you think, said one of the weavers. Oh, it's beautiful, it's enchanting, the old minister peered through his spectacles. Such a pattern, what colors? I'll be sure to tell the emperor how delighted I am with it. We're pleased to hear that, the swindlers said, and they proceeded to name all the colors and to explain the intricate pattern. The old minister paid the closest attention so he could tell it all to the emperor, and so he did. The swindlers at once asked for more money, more silk and gold thread to get on with the weaving. But it all went into their pockets, not a thread went into the loom, though they worked at their weaving as hard as ever. All the town was talking of this splendid cloth, and the emperor wanted to see it for himself while it was still in the looms. Attended by a band of chosen men, among whom were his two old trusted officials, the ones who had already been to the weavers, he set out to see the two swindlers. He found them weaving with might and main, but without a thread in their looms. Magnificent, said the two officials already duped. Just look, your majesty, what colors, what design. They pointed to the empty looms, each supposing that the others could see the stuff. What's this, thought the emperor. I can't see anything. This is terrible. Am I a fool? Am I unfit to be emperor? What a thing to happen to me, of all people. Oh, it's very pretty, he said. It has my highest approval, and he nodded approbation at the empty loom. Nothing could make him say that he couldn't see anything. His whole retinue stared and stared. One saw no more than the other. But they all joined the emperor in exclaiming, oh, it's very pretty. And they advised him to wear the clothes made of this wonderful cloth, especially for the great procession he was soon to lead. Magnificent, excellent, unsurpassed, were bandied from mouth to mouth, and everyone did his best to seem well pleased. Then the emperor himself came with his noblest noblemen, and the swindlers each raised an arm as if they were holding something. They said, these are the trousers, here's the coat, this is the mantle, naming each garment. All of them are as light as a spider web. One would almost think he had nothing on, but that's what makes them so fine. If your imperial majesty will condescend to take your clothes off, said the swindlers, we'll help you on with your new ones, here in front of the long mirror. The emperor undressed, and the swindlers pretended to put on his new clothes, one garment after another. How well your majesty's new clothes look. Aren't they becoming? He heard on all sides. That pattern so perfect, those colors so suitable. It is a magnificent outfit. The Minister of Public Processions announced, Your Majesty's canopy is waiting outside. So off went the Emperor in his procession under his splendid canopy. Everyone in the streets and the windows said, Oh, how fine are the Emperor's new clothes. Don't they fit him to perfection and see his long train? Nobody would confess that he couldn't see anything, for that would prove him either unfit for his position or a fool. No costume the emperor had worn before was ever such a complete success. But he hasn't got anything on, a little child said. Did you ever hear such innocent prattle, said its father. And one person whispered to another what the child had said. He hasn't got anything on. A child says he hasn't got anything on. But he hasn't got anything on, the whole town cried out at last. The emperor shivered, for he suspected they were right. But he thought, this procession has got to go on. 
So he walked more proudly than ever as his noblemen held high the train that wasn't there at all. It is a sad commentary, but the truth is that many ideas and beliefs in our world seem to become popular for reasons not dissimilar than in the tale of the unfortunate emperor. Society often accepts stories and ideas just because they are said forcefully or frequently or out of fear of being shamed or ridiculed by labeling. Polite dissenting views are not tolerated, even if backed up by strong and credible information. When people retract their true views under this sort of pressure, freedom of expression is surrendered. A person who may not accept a particular movement or initiative based upon their understanding of historical data may be called denier, stupid, or some other name, but seldom do the name callers address the concerns raised. Thus, many fear to take a stand which may be unpopular. They just go along with the crowd, fearing to be thought of as different. To a large extent, one of the issues is simply that many people do not have a strong moral anchor. Their life is not framed by a set of beliefs which clearly identifies right and wrong, that is, moral absolutes. Hence, people are less likely to take a strong stand for what was formerly thought of as right. All too often, ideas which contradict truth are forced on a society that fears being considered different, stupid, or unfit. One truth that is being suppressed in our age is the certainty that we are the product of a brilliant creation by a powerful being with incredible intellect and ability. Some would like to make you think that it's silly to hold on to such a belief, but the facts of science and basic logic show the reality of a creator. Our special offer today will help you reinforce this truth and reveal the nakedness of the contrary popular belief of our age. Clearly, truth is right, but what is truth? In the case of the polar bears, they are currently thriving, but that truth is not the popular narrative. Nonetheless, what is in this case unpopular is in fact reality. One idea that has in the past few decades become very unpopular is the long-held belief that the Earth and all life forms on it have come about as the result of a willful and deliberate creation by an all-powerful supernatural being we call God. Those who hold this conviction can become marginalized, deemed anti-intellectual, stupid, or unfit for leadership. Left-wing political parties in Canada have been known to research the background of people to see if they hold religious views or positions or affiliation with a religious organization. They then publish this information believing that the populace will then consider that individual unfit for political or administrative office. Well then, is belief in a God who is a creator a measure of incompetence or stupidity? Or does it make one unfit for office? It is worthy of note that much of the modern world's science and technology, space exploration, and modern engineering is based on the groundbreaking work of Sir Isaac Newton, 1642 to 1727. Newton created mathematical formulations that enabled today's engineers to work with matters of force, gravity, and to quickly make calculations about situations where there's a constant change of rate.
This revolutionized engineering. He invented the reflector telescope, of which the current Hubble and James Webb space telescopes are modern versions. He also defined much of the base of modern optical science. Newton, however, was not only a firm believer in the God of creation, but he felt the science and mathematics he worked with were proof of that creator's existence. Over 300 years ago, in Newton's day, some who thought themselves as intellectual were flaunting the idea that God was just a myth, that books like the Bible were based on the imaginings of men. Newton was challenged by them. This giant of the sciences knew the Bible very well, and in fact wrote more about the Bible than he ever wrote about the sciences. To answer those who challenged the notion of a creator, he wrote a short piece called A Short Scheme of the True Religion. In it, he used several very basic points to demonstrate that the creation is absolute proof of God. Atheism is so senseless and odious to mankind that it never had many professors. Can it be by accident that all birds, beasts, and men have their right side and left side alike shaped? Just two eyes and no more on either side of the face? And just two ears on either side the head? And a nose with two holes and no more between the eyes? And one mouth under the nose? And either two forelegs or two wings or two arms on the shoulders? and two legs on the hips, one on either side, and no more? Whence arises this uniformity and all their outward shapes, but from the counsel and contrivance of an author? Whence is it that the eyes of all sorts of living creatures are transparent to the very bottom, and the only transparent members in the body, having on the outside and hard transparent skin, and within transparent juices with a crystalline lens in the middle and a pupil before the lens, all of them so truly shaped and fitted for vision that no artist can mend them. Did blind chance know there was light? These and such like considerations always have and ever will prevail with mankind to believe that there is a being who made all things and has all things in his power and is therefore to be feared. Here is the greatest scientist who ever lived. People still rush to praise his science, but they conveniently ignore the power of his logic when it comes to our origins. Newton was not afraid to say the emperor was not wearing anything. He had the courage to stand for obvious truth. Similarly, Dr. Susan Crockford was not fooled by the emperor's imaginary wardrobe and courageously showed the result of valid research. Where is your line in the sand? Will you take a stand for what is right and respectfully stand up for what is truth, even if that stand comes at a cost? Will you take time to learn the truths revealed in the Bible and not bend from them even if society wants you to turn your back on them? Or Will we choose to cower before those who threaten to call us names and give in to ideas and philosophies that we know are fundamentally wrong? There is an ancient warning about the time in which we live, when lies would become pervasive and overwhelming. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. 
So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The reality that we are a function of design is so clearly obvious in the world around us, whether in the structure and predictable behavior of atoms, the complex and interdependent chemical cycles that keep ourselves alive, or the design beauty of much that lives on earth, these are all evidence of a designer to any honest and thinking individual. What may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The emperor in Anderson's tale openly allowed himself to be deluded for the sake of not being considered stupid or unfit. Yet he ended up being thought of as he had feared. Fear of public rejection has unfortunately led many a person to go along with and sometimes advocate for what they suspect or even know to be untrue. Fear of rejection or being called names or being socially shamed is a powerful agent in the process of deception. It leads to a denial of reality. Alas, the denial of the reality of the existence of a creator is all too common in this world. People choose to live and affirm fantasies and are thus outside the protection and support provided by the laws and guidelines given by the being who created us. The reality of God is as clear as the fact that the sun rises every day. Are you prepared to become an example of the courage to act on reason? Again, our free offer this week, Cosmic Coincidence or Creation, contains three programs which clearly demonstrate the truth that life on this earth is a function of a deliberate act of creation by a God who wanted to make beings just like you for a grand purpose. We also will provide for those who wish a free link to an online version of the same resource. Join us next week when Gerald Weston, Michael Haykoop and I bring an explanation of the events we see around us today and the great future that lies ahead in tomorrow's world.